Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. Tear This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and we have a great, great show for you guys today. Mm -hmm. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been doing interviews with um, some of the seven Rich Dad advisors to Robert Kiyosaki with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, we've been learning all about uh, entrepreneurism. We've been learning about taxes. We've been learning about, uh, you know, uh, uh, selling with with uh, with Mr. Blair and the, and the sales dogs and the approach to uh, the mentality of which type of dog are you in the fight of selling. And we all know that the most important component of any business is making the sale because the sale leads to the revenue. And so, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of expand uh, in, in a little bit of a different type of way uh, as we talk to Greg Champion, who is a branding expert working with top consumer brands, major television networks, and professional sports teams over the last 15 years. Uh, he has focused on selective startup ventures as an investor, an advisor, educator, and a startup coach. And of course, he's a TEDx speaker who's been in recovery for 20 years after nearly ruining his life with drugs and alcohol. He got clean and sober. And we, we want to definitely hear that story. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much to have me on as a guest. And uh, uh, I look forward to this. And, uh, and, I, and I know we talked before the interview about Phoenix. We both have Phoenix yep. roots and it's good to, good to be back on the, the air in Phoenix, I guess you would say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix is a weird place for me. Um, I've been here my whole life. I grew up here. Um, I was in the military. I traveled all around the world. Um, I've traveled all the way, all the way, all around the world for media stuff for voice America in my 16 years here as well. And you know, the funniest thing is, is when I'm flying back home and I look out the window and I just see that desert, that Brown color, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, yep, that's my home. That's where I'm at, mm. you know, and even being in, you know, whether it be LA or San Diego or Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, East coast and several places where they got trees and it's green and it's beautiful and beaches and all that. I still love coming back home to Phoenix. Yeah, it is a special place. I, my favorite time of the year uh, in Phoenix is, is uh, the monsoon season. Uh, it, it's just, I mean, talk about God showing up. You know, it's just, it's just, right? I mean, it's a beautiful, you're laying out, it's 107 degrees, 110 degrees, and all of a sudden, right around 4, 35 o'clock, here comes those storm clouds. And yeah. they dump that warm rain on you, and then they're gone in an hour. It's it's the coolest thing. Yeah, no, I think uh, your love for the monsoon and mine are are, are definitely equal. <laughs> and for me, you know, um, it, monsoon is one of my favorite parts of be, uh, being in Phoenix. But um, my favorite part of Phoenix is fall. Um, I like October and November in Arizona and Phoenix specifically. It's great, and so hence the uh, the monsoons to me are uh, are nature's signal saying, "Hey, guys." Hmm. Guess what? Here comes fall. Yeah, summer's going to be over soon. We're going to make it real humid for August, and then yeah. we're going to start making it beautiful in September. <laughs> yeah, good. So, Greg, you know, uh, you have a really impactful story. You have, um, you know, 
all of this years of sobriety, uh, being in recovery, which is just absolutely wonderful. Congratulations and kudos on, yeah. on being able to ma- ma- uh, maintain that. Um, I've seen lots of people in my life go through, um, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, a lot of those scenarios. And it really does take a lot of effort to pull yourself out of that hole. Mm-hmm. And something that I learned recently because of a family member, and it's, you know, no matter how much I tried to help that person, um, I couldn't really do anything until they were mm-hmm. ready to help themselves. You know, yeah, so. that, that, that's the magic of it. The, the individual has to help themselves. Um, what I have found, Ryan, is that a lot of people think that alcohol and drugs are the problem. It's actually the solution. The problem is inside you. There's some sort of drama, trauma, or pain deep down inside of you that you haven't worked out. Yeah. You haven't gotten out. And I call it the backpack of shame. Something from your childhood, something from your teenage years, something, some school teacher or coach scolded you in a way that, that you had to hide a secret. And uh, in the program, we talk about people, they're only as sick as their secrets. Um, yeah. And I think that this person you're talking about has a lot of secrets and they're not willing to get them out either through a therapist or a 12 step group yeah, right. or even through, you know, a, you know, even through a, a, a trusted friend. And um, what I can tell you is that, uh, you know, uh, the drugs and alcohol, especially in this country, are, is everywhere, you know. If I can give you a stat, this is just a mind-blowing stat. So the United States makes up 5% of the world's population. We make up 95% of prescription pill sales. That's insane. Right? I I mean, literally insane. You you and I I were talking off air just a little bit. I was telling you about a a show that I'm the executive producer for called Landmark Recovery Radio. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was having a discussion with their marketing person, you know, and she was saying something to me like, you know, we were talking about press releases and, you know, that kind of thing. And and she had mentioned to me, well, you know, I only put out a press release when we're opening up a new facility where, you know, like things are, uh, you know, like I feel it's really big. And, And I had to stop her and I had to say, I disagree with you. Every story of every person that makes it to recovery, I feel is press release worthy because mm-hmm. when you look at today, especially with drugs like fentanyl, right? Living here in Arizona, yep. I just saw they had like a $3 million, you know, bust of fentanyl pills coming over from Mexico and, you know, that opioid epidemic. And we've done shows on how CBD helps people off of the opioids and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And, and I just feel like, you know, anytime that you're able to, you know, throw up a flag of victory and, and showcase that you've won this battle, that's something that's important, not only for the person that's, uh, you know, in recovery, but, you know, also for the mechanism that helped them get there, you know, shining light on that so that way people know that there is always some type of hope that's available um, because addiction is probably one of the biggest problems that plagues the United States of America from a socioeconomic standpoint. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and I love that you talk about um, the solution and the tent pole, the beacon, you know, and I, I consider myself a beacon. People always ask me, uh, why are you so open with your recovery? And I said, because guess what? All it takes is one person to hear my story, to see my path, yeah. and, and want to buy into it. You know, And uh, the reasons for me to come on a show like yours is for that, to hear my story. You know, I went to Arizona State. I was a complete frat boy knucklehead <laughs> while, while I was there. You know, And uh, I took that lifestyle out into the real world. And within a short amount of time, 
between age 22 and 24, I got my ass handed to me several times. Drugs and alcohol plus Greg equal jail. And so, Ryan, I went to jail eight times in two years. Yep. Now, this is a kid who grew up with generation, greatest generation parents. You know, my, my stepfather fought on D-Day. Um, I was in private Catholic school and I got a degree, right? Th- that type of kid does not get arrested eight times in, in, in two years. And what's crazy is that, um, you know, I was facing five years in prison based upon that last arrest. And um, so I was at a crossroads and I tell people all the time, I live in the Pacific Palisades now, you know, and I say, look, I went from prison to the Palisades. <laughs> I, I say that in a joking manner to really give you a, a, um, a, 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 a flight path, you know, a flight path of here's this kid who is facing uh, prison and all of a sudden he gets sober. He gets sober for 90 days. He gets sober for a year. He gets sober for three years. And before you know it, and what I did is I came to Hollywood and I slept on a friend's couch for four months. I started going to 12-step meetings. And what happened is I fell in love with Hollywood and I got a job as a production assistant. And I looked up and I go, okay, there's success. And I began going from a production assistant to an assistant manager, to an assistant producer, and being working my way up at companies like this, Fox, NBC, DreamWorks, and um, and what I was doing, and this is this is what I was doing. Instead of going out on Thursday nights, right when my friends were, I would stay in and work on scripts. Instead of being hungover on Saturday mornings like all my friends, I would go into the office and print those scripts out and get them distributed out. So, a big thing for me is shifting addiction to passion. And so, those hours I would waste in my addiction, I was now putting forward in my passion. And Ryan, I don't need to tell you this, but you do that. Eight hours a week times fifty-two weeks, you're going to have something done. Yeah, you're going to have you, a house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'll yeah. you'll definitely have some level of success. You know, that, yeah. that's an interesting point. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about like smoking cigarettes as yep. an addiction, right? Okay. Um, so I I, I I smoke, and so um, that that's my my one of my crutches, and I'm always trying to figure out. Okay, I got to quit smoking. I got to quit smoking. It's bad for my health. I don't want to get cancer. You know, all that fun stuff. But um, I did. I sat down and I I was like, all right, well, you smoke X amount of cigarettes in a day. You know, and then I, I it takes you like five minutes to smoke one. I multiplied that by 365 days for the year, and I'm going, wow! You know how much more things I could achieve, uh, you know, by not smoking cigarettes, just from a, from a time perspective. I mean, take away the monetary component of what you spend on on a pack of smokes, but you know, um, just e- even that, like the time, and and that's that's exactly right. Um, you find yourself uh, during recovery having, you know, an immense amount of more time to follow your passions. And totally. you know, I, I think it's helpful too. I mean, I, I think the addictive nature or addictive personality is kind of inherent in the human genome in the first place, but it's just kind of like, what is that addiction? Is it, you know, is it drugs and alcohol or is it, mm-hmm. you know, you're addicted to your job. Um, and, you know, and so that's, that's, I think a great outlet, like you mentioned, you know, if you can take that time that you might say, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, drink alcohol or do some drugs mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, shift that into something of passion where you, 
can be creative. You can use, uh, you know, the human potential for storytelling and technology yep. and all of that and kind of focus back into, um, you know, not necessarily yourself, but a little bit of yourself, right? Focusing into yourself uh, in order to get something exponentially better than you had before is just an amazing thing and uh, something that, you know, I think even if you're not addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's something that, you know, you have to sit back and reflect on as a human being of, you know, am I using the time that I have on this earth in the most appropriate manner to be the best for me? I, I echo your sentiment exactly. So let me just give you a sort of a, a situation to which when I meet with someone I'm mentoring or someone I'm coaching, here's the first question I ask them, Ryan, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> Right. We yeah. were asked that when we were five years old. Right. And for a lot of people, what happens is they have a certain dream or a certain passion or a certain skill set. Right. And when drugs and alcohol get involved. Right. All that gets squashed. So if I've taken drugs and alcohol away, guess what's ready to be opened up again? And so passion. I have helped people become musicians. I've helped people become actors. I've helped people become real estate agents or get into design because that's where they left off before drugs and alcohol came into their lives. And so um, when I ask somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's one part of it is the career, but also a lot of people, let me ask you, Ryan, again, I'm going to be, uh, you started using drugs and alcohol when you were 12 or 13, right? Um, I'm not, no, not really drugs, not really alcohol. I didn't, okay. start, I didn't start drinking until I got home from the Navy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let me just say the most, most people I come in contact with began drinking around 12 or 13. And it's really a, a three-legged stool. One, they're starting to come into puberty. Two, they start freshman year. And three, it's finally available. Yeah. That's right? when I started it's, smoking cigarettes. I think I was 12. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and what happens is, is there's some sort of childhood pain or trauma and there's a great um, guru called Gabor Mate. You should look him up. He, he's a Canadian um, doctor of psychology. Mm -hmm. And he always says all addiction is related to some pain. And so 90% of it, it's back there. Um, and so what I want to convey to your audience is that what I try to ask people to do is when I'm working with them, I say, hey, what you do before drugs and alcohol? And so what that means is what you do for joy. And so what happens is a lot of a lot of people say, hey, I was an artist. I was a musician. I played soccer. Well, let's go do those same things again. As for yeah. example, for me, when, before I took drugs and alcohol, I loved the body surf. I loved the skateboard and I loved mint chocolate chip milkshakes from Baskin Robbins. Okay? <laughs> All right, my friend? Oh, yeah. So, so here I am. I'm 50 years old now. I still body surf. I skateboard with my nine-year-old uh, little girl and I have at least two mint chocolate chip milkshakes a week because they bring me joy. And a lot, of our, a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people I work with lose that joy, right, at some point in their life. And I love how you touch upon finding your passion on what to do for a living, because clearly you're sitting in a chair, you, you would do this for free. <laughs> Obviously you make some money, right? But you enjoy engaging the human connection, information transfer, data downloads, all that stuff. 100%. Right? And so you walk out of there with your heels clicking, because you, you're doing what you wanted to do. And so I really believe that, that that is the disconnect with America is we don't give people opportunities to do what they want to do or pursue them because some parents like, you got to be a lawyer. You got to be a lawyer. Meanwhile, the kid's a brilliant artist, you know? And, well, and you, like you bring up a good point too, especially when you talk about art, you know, um, I, I, 
I feel like, you know, you, you, you look at schools nowadays too, right? And everybody's like STEM, mm-hmm. STEM, STEM, science, STEM, engineering, STEM, STEM, technology, yep, yep, math. Yep. And I'm like, I'm like, no, STEAM, STEAM, science, mm. technology, engineering, yep. art, and yes. math, you know, um, yep. because, you know, there's something that artificial intelligence and machine learning and computers <clears throat> cannot do. And that's be the artistic mind of a human. I was at, uh, I know you were saying you love Hollywood. I was at uh, the Infinity Festival in Hollywood uh, just, uh, what was it, in November. And while we were at the event, right, they were showcasing new technologies by DreamWorks and different uh, production companies. And what I thought was interesting is they made a, a comment that said that, you know, the technology doesn't create the story. The story creates the technology. And mm. so it was kind of like, you know, when DreamWorks is saying, hey, we have this cool story. And in order to do this story, we have to make new technology to be able to accomplish the production value to make the story happen. It was really cool. And then they brought out this. Uh, it was an AI art machine and it reads, you know, like a, it was a painter and he was painting. And uh, the AI machine had read uh, all, you know, 950 pieces that he had ever painted. Right. And then it would make suggestions to him on how to paint. And um uh, it was funny as I raised my hand and I asked a question and I said, well, what are your paintings come out? Like if you don't use the AI to give you, you know, some, 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 uh, you know, guidance on, on, on what you're making, you know, and he showed me a picture of what he does by himself versus what he does with AI assistance. And I immediately, it was like, See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The things that you make here out of your own mind with no assistance from computer-aided technologies are so much far superior than this thing that you're making right now uh, with assisted AI. And I think a lot of that gets lost in translation when you when you have you know oh you got to be a doctor you got to be a this you got to be a that you know um, I'm 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 a father of a six year old daughter I I I I I just say what do you want to do. Let's go do that. You want to be a ballet dancer? Let's go take ballet classes. You want to do karate? Let's go take karate. You want to do soccer? Let's do soccer. I'll coach the team, whatever. Um, yeah. Because like you said, it's like what gives her joy, right? And I want to allow her the opportunity as a child to experience anything and everything possible so she can make an informed decision later in life on what brings her that joy. So let me just give you a litmus test uh, of what, we did here at startup recovery. So we had a young man come in last summer. He ended up staying with us for five months uh, as a resident here at our facility. And he was a heroin addict, needle in the arm heroin addict for nine years. But be, but when he was uh, sober here off and on, he was a wonderful painter, uh, went to fine art school. And so we took one of our garages and turned it into a studio for him. In the five months he was here, he remained sober. That's the number one thing. He also banged out 22 paintings to which we sold four of them to my network of friends into their houses, into their offices. One of them actually hangs in United Talent Agency here in Beverly Hills. That's awesome. Um, And so he truly shifted his addiction to his passion. Um, And he comes from a father who wanted him to be something, I want you to be a lawyer. and we, we sort of cut the father off and said, this kid's got to do what he's got to do. Now, granted, he's the artist, right? And he needs some mentors like my partner, um, Jeff Van and myself are. And so we're business mentors. We handle his invoicing. We handle his uh, website building, all that kind of stuff. So he can just focus on the art. 
Yeah, he um, keeps it all right in his yeah. own wheelhouse. It totally. Yeah. Totally. As an operations guy, I'm the VP of operations for Voice America. I'm I'm constantly like, don't do that. You're you're not. I'm not being mean. You're yeah. just you're not you're not the best person for this. You are absolutely the best person for this. Let's 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 stick you here in a place where we know you can succeed. I mean, it's almost like being a football coach, right? And and it's like you know you can have scheme 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 all you want with with playing a football game, but um, if your players can't execute the scheme, then you're going to lose games. And so you have to make sure that your scheme fits the skill level of the players, right? And allowing those yep. those people to 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 ride in their wheelhouse and and do that. Um, you know, as you as you talk about your your recovery path and the people that you work with, um, you know, how did you find your frequency in in the startup business, and and how did you how did you take your passion for startups and business and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and your recovery and and blend that together? How how did that all come about? Well, you know, some people some people say, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you what I, I I think entrepreneurs are born, and here's why. When I was living in Phoenix, I um, washed cars. I had a paper route, um, you know. And this is at seven, eight, nine years old. I I was out there hustling, you know. When I was at ASU, I was the guy who walked around the dorm rooms with T-shirts, nice. uh, you know, that had funny sayings on them, when, depending on what football team was coming in. <laughs> that you know, um, and. Uh, you know, what I will say is once I got to L.A., I did work for some big companies and it was, it was a good foundation to see how big companies do things right and see how big companies do things wrong. Um, and ultimately, when you're talking about finding your frequency here, here's what I want to tell you is that I, I call it the it factor. And I'm sure you've heard that before. What, what is your it factor? What's your superpower? And so, you know, my last name is Champion. And what I will tell you is part of my recovery is trying to live up to that last name on a daily basis. Ryan, believe me, it's tough. <laughs> um, okay? But what I had happened to me about five or six years ago is I had a breakthrough. And I looked up the word champion. If you look at the definition of champion, the first one means winner, leader, victorious. But if you look at the second one, the second definition, under it says someone who champions a cause, comma, or a mentor. And so that is really what my it factor is. That's what my frequency is, is, a, is I champion the cause. So that could be a startup who comes to me and says, hey, we have a product or service. Will you be on our advisory board and help us put out our 10-page our, our pitch deck? Yeah. Um, that I can be a mentor to a USC student who has a product or service they want to try out. And I certainly can be a, a mentor or person in recovery to someone who's in early recovery. Again, I'm living up to my last name, that second definition, someone who empowers or champions the cause. And so my frequency is my last name. Um, I can't tell you how many times I go to the bank and people go, oh, what a great last name, or <laughs> where do I get a name like that? Or, and, um, and so what I want to do is I want to live up to that. Um, and so what happened out of that was I would work for Fox, DreamWorks, NBC, Fox Sports, and eventually, in 2006, I opened up my own branding company called Champion Media and Entertainment. And people kept saying to me, what a great name to, to start a name with. And, um, and out of that company came uh, building websites, doing videos, doing branding, um, doing contests. Um, I'll tell you a little story of how I got this. The, the, again, here's the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I am, I'm working for Fox Sports. I'm on the red carpet on, with a crew. I have a microphone and I have my, my video camera. 
And this guy comes up to me and goes, hey, I've seen you around for a few months. I really like the way you handle A-list talent. I really like how you handle a crew. It seems like you do a good job. I just got a job at, at, as a vice president at, at a very nice company. I go, man, if you had your own company, I, I think I'd be your first client. So I went home that night and I got real nervous. Like, I had my own company. I'm not ready for my own company. <laughs> but then I sat with it and I go, well, what would it look like? Well, I knew I wanted to name it Champion Media right, and Entertainment. I knew I needed a good logo and I needed a good website. So I call a friend of mine up who was a graphic designer. Again, we have to acquire our superheroes, things that, you know, right? You have to acquire your A team. The smartest guy in the room hires the smartest people, right? Um, yeah, so if, you're, did, if, you're uh, the, if you're the owner of the business and you're the smartest guy in the room, you're not doing your job right. <laughs> a, amen, Ryan. So, so I, I get a friend over so, and all of a sudden he says, let's make a black website. He goes, what's your value? What value can you show this, this person? And what it is, I had a bunch of pictures of me working with Tiger Woods, Tony Hawk, Heidi Klum, right? Yeah. Shaq. So we put those pictures on the site. We t- the Back in 2006, the number one show on television was Entourage, right? <laughs> and so I took that logo of uh, uh, font, the lowercase Entourage, and I turned it into Champion, right? And all of a sudden, we sent over a website to this guy. This guy's vice president of Doritos, <laughs> and, and also a day later comes back. Congratulations. I'm your first client. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, we and were, so, yeah, go ahead. We, we were, we were talking, uh, you know, with Blair last week and, uh, you know, talking about sales and, um, he wrote a book. I don't have it on my desk now, but it was, uh, it was about how you deal with, you know, that inner voice, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, right? People work these nine to five jobs. They're, you know, mm-hmm. living for somebody else's dream, so to speak. Yep. And, a lot of the limiting behavior behind not doing your own business are these things that come up in your own mind that are like, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough people. My network's mm-hmm. not big enough. And so, you know, those self-limiting uh, kind of beliefs. And so when we were talking about that and, and, and you brought up, you know, you you had one of those epiphanies and you said, yeah. oh, I don't know if I can do this. But then you stopped and you 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 didn't let your emotions over uh, uh, cloud your intelligence, right? And so you were able to then step by step go through the intelligence component and say, well, wait a minute, right. you know, no, I, I have been with Shaq and I have done these things yeah, yeah. and I have done that. So I can do this. Let's go do this. You know, so that that's what I think is, is, is amazing, you know, about the story of the beginning of your company is, you know, that you did ha- you had those limiting factors, but you didn't allow that to overcome you. And there's a lot of people out there that are sitting here listening to the show or listening to other podcasts about entrepreneurship, thinking about the next great idea that they have, but they just didn't they just didn't take that leap of faith. What would you say to somebody who's sitting there right now thinking that in their head to get past that portion to go actually follow their passion and get out and do it? Well, I think it's really four factors. I think you have to have the idea, right? Have the idea, have the crazy idea, you know? Two, um, you have to go seek advice, you know, raise your hand in a classroom. I sometimes raise my hand in a 12-step meeting, you know? I'm going through this problem. And next thing you know, there's somebody over in the over in the corner who comes and helps me. Number three, you got to put some elbow grease to it. You got to put some time away from your nine to five job, right? And go put in a Saturday and a Sunday building your whatever you think you're going to build, right? 
And then last but not least, I think you need to find a mentor. I think you need to find a mentor in the industry because here's what I found about mentors. They teach me the landmines, right, <laughs> and the puddles to avoid. Because what ultimately what you want to do as a mentor is give your mentee the path of least resistance. Yeah. And what I want to say to you is I never would have been able to do champion media entertainment if I had not had a mentor. I will tell you, I did not have a mentor my first six years in Hollywood. I was just doing it on my own self-will. And that, that year that I got a mentor, uh, his name was Gary Considine from uh, NBC, I was able to open up my shop within a year. Because here's what I know about bosses, Ryan. We have good bosses and we have bad bosses. And guess what? We learn more from the bad bosses because we learn what not to do. 100% correct on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you talk about mentorship and, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm in the media space as well. I, 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 I VP yep. operations of a, an internet radio station and, you know, we come across the, the gurus, right, all the time, you know, the uh, the person who's the the mentor for hire, the mentor for sale, um, you know, oh, I have a, a, a steps of a program you can get on and I can be your mentor, you know, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that space is clouded right now because how do you know as an individual that, you know, you're spending the proper time with a mentor and that that mentor is guiding you in an appropriate direction? Um, and, you know, does the mentorship I know this is a long question. Uh, no, no, it's good. And, and, yeah. and does the mentorship, you know, is does that come with a price tag? You know, like are are people paying for mentorship, or is mentorship something more of a a give back from the mentor because they've been there and done that, and they see something of themselves maybe in the person they're mentoring, mm -hmm. and so they offer that as a a service or. Yeah, you because know, I've I've always had that question in my mind, especially when people mm -hmm. talk about their mentors, and then and then mm -hmm. I find out I'm like, oh, you paid this person a hundred thousand dollars to be yeah, a mentor, no. and I'm like, no. I don't. That's not, is that a really a no, mentor? No, 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 no. So so uh, I love this topic. Uh, it really speaks to me. I, I can give you three points of reference. So so for me, um, what I do is first of all, uh, you're being of service to another person, and when being of service to another person, you do not expect anything back in any way. Okay. And the reason why you're doing that is because someone did it for you. It's your way of creating that cycle of life in terms of business. Yeah. Number two, you ask, hey, what, what's the proof in the pudding? Well, I say to my mentees, I say, look, I'm never going to hurt you. Nothing I say to you, nothing I do to you is ever going to hurt you. Every, every bit of knowledge I'm going to give you has been tested by me. I have had this red flag come up. I've had to hire and fire people. I've had this type of toxic client, right? Mm, yeah. So I'm giving you stuff that has been tried and true, right? And then the last part plays into my recovery. So here at Startup Recovery, every Thursday night, we have sober mentors come up to the house. And they come, we hold a 12-step meeting, and they talk about their experience, strength, and hope. But what's happening is, Ryan, these sober mentors do it for fun and for free. And here's what's cool. They are captains of industry. They are Oscar winners. They are distinguished writers. And so what the person sitting there, the young person in recovery is looking at is, hey, you're showing me the flight path of how if I get sober, right, I can have a great career. And so you can see both in my own world, being a mentor and having mentors, also the service element that, of, hey, we do this for fun and for free. And now in my recovery world, because what I want them to do is see, I want them to see someone who does long-term sobriety, 
and long-term success. Because in my world, here's who are my, who are my mentors are. They have to have these three categories, long-term sobriety, long-term success, and long-term marriages. Those are the three things that keep me grounded and in Greg Lane, you know, <laughs> because what I will tell you this, Ryan, the obsession of drugs and alcohol has left me. It really has. I, I, I will never do drugs. I'll never drink again. But the obsession to obsess has never left me. Right. And I want, I, I want you to think about that for a second. So all of a sudden, here comes the Super Bowl, right? I can go gamble $5,000 away quickly, right? There's the pretty intern who keeps walking back and forth, right? I can obsess about her. Or I can obsess about my neighbor's new car, right? And all of a sudden, when I'm obsessing, I'm not focused on the present. And I know you brought that up earlier. You got, you got to be focused on the present. Yep. Um, and so um, I really encourage people to find a mentor, right? And the relationship is this, Ryan, if I was mentoring you, hey, I'd, get you, I'd give you some things. You take them out in the world and a week report back to me and see if they worked. Yeah. And you know, nine out of 10 times they're going to work. Yeah, and and that's a, that's an interesting concept. And um, I don't have a mentor for like m- m- me holistically, like three hundred and sixty degree Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a time where I was put in charge of you know large technology projects and web development projects and DevOps and um, yep. my background is as is in radio as an audio engineer, a board operator, a producer, a creator of content, you know, not a creator of technology. And so you know I had to go outside of my wheelhouse for a bit. Um, but I went outside my wheelhouse and I found that. Um, creating applications and creating user experiences is no different than creating content when it comes to radio. It's just a different outlet. And, um, you know, big kudos to my technology mentor, Mm -hmm. uh, Gary Wells, who is in uh, uh, Northern California. Um, You know, he's had, you know, those three things that you talk about. I mean, he's been wildly successful in technology. Mm -hmm. He's the, you know, vice president of technology for one of the largest banks in the world. Um, You know, if you're if you're using a banking application on your phone, he probably helped to develop that. Um, And, you know, he has, uh, you know, when you say sobriety, um, you know, I drink a couple of beers every now and again. I don't have a drinking problem or I don't obsess Mm -hmm. about drinking, you know? And so one thing that I loved about Gary is, you know, him and I could always, you know, uh, when I was in, in Northern California, I could always go to his house. We would hang out, have a couple of beers, talk about business, talk about technology, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he's got a couple of kids and, 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 and a wife and, you know, all of those things that you touch on, uh, you know, maybe minus the couple of beers every now and again, but um, you know, those things have been, extremely important to me with um, the way and he doesn't ask me for anything other than right. other than he wants to know what I'm experiencing as a younger person um, you know I'm, I'm 39 um, and he's, he's a little bit older than you are and you know he he just wants to know how his return for our, our, our relationship is really based on him understanding a different generation and seeing how mm. that generation interacts with technology and you know we have great conversations around you know hey I, he says I think um, when I'm building this next thing I'm going to do A, B and C um, and now we've gotten to the point after 15 years of a relationship <clears throat> where now we're collaborating on things and it's 
you know, it's like, I go, no, no, that's not going to work. These young kids, the millennials and the Gen Z's, they don't have time for that. They're, they're not going to even mess with that. And there, and there are things sometimes that he hadn't even thought about um, because of just the generational gap. And so we've had this nice symbiotic relationship uh, for such a long time. And and that's why I brought up that question, because I I do feel like that those mentors that you have in, in your life are mentors that are, uh, placed within your path for a specific reason at a specific time. Uh, and they have a specific purpose and the purpose yep. is not to, you know, exchange money monetarily, but exchange brain power. It's a, uh, it's yeah. the, that's the currency of the knowledge economy. Well, yeah. They, they exchange human connectivity. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, being a human is, uh, is multifaceted. You know, um, and that's, I that's think that's an that, understatement. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's there's a gentleman on 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 TED on a TED talk, and he says he ends his TED talk saying, "The opposite of addiction, sorry, the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection," is what he says. Um, and um, you know, I, I would say you know you you were addicted to to uh, cigarettes. I think every human being is addicted to something: drama, coffee exercise, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling. It's some way of escapism, you know? Um, and and it's okay um, if you can have a positive addiction. I, I know a guy who quit drinking, now he runs marathons, you know? I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah. You know, right? Um, I, I sort of became addicted to work. And in my early 20s, that served me well. That really did serve me well. I was able to um, get out in front of my friends who continue to drink um, because of, of that addicted to work thing. Yeah, no, I definitely can understand that. And um, I think that's probably, you know, I, I, I do, I do smoke cigarettes and I have a couple of beers every now and again, <clears throat> but my addiction is, is wholeheartedly content creation and, and, and doing what we're doing right now. Um, I just, you know, like you said earlier, I would probably do this for free. Um, I get the opportunity to talk to individuals like yourself and other thought leaders in different spaces. And, you know, um, I almost feel like every time I do an interview um, or, or talk to somebody in the, in this particular format, uh, I feel like I'm getting like a mini coaching session myself. I, I walk mm-hmm. away with, you know, little nuggets of information that I know that I can, I can use and, and grow and learn from personally and professionally uh, because every single person has a different story. You know, your story is enlightening. Your story, you know, talks to, um, you know, the human nature and the power of the human mind and the things that the human being can overcome. And as long as you have the, that right, you know, path in front of you to be able to follow. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, uh, I appreciate you being on the, on the show today yep. and you know, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful, but I got, I have another couple of questions for you before we round yep. out the interview. Um, you know, I know that you developed a, a, a bullet proof playbook on how to land, keep and thrive your, uh, your dream job. Let's, uh, let's talk about the bulletproof playbook. Um, also number one, I want to also let the listeners know where they can find out more information on, uh, you know, following you, whether it be social media, your website, getting the book, all that good stuff. Okay, cool. So, uh, I don't have a book yet, but, uh, one of the things that I love that you talked about, you brought up the football analogy earlier plays, right? Yeah. So what I have developed in the last uh, two years is a thing called the recovery playbook. Um, and it's, it's, it's a coaching curriculum that I've used both with our residents here at Startup Recovery as well as high-end 
um, private clients. Mm-hmm. These are C-suite executives, celebrities, athletes. And, uh, and so we are launching, and this is where the technology comes into it. We are launching the recovery pl- uh, playbook platform uh, in the month of February. And it allows for people like you to get 12 plays that help them um, move their lives forward. So I'll give you a couple titles, right? We have the 10 intentions. We have the right to write. We have um, the mask you live in. We have uh, the digital <laughs> scrub. Now the digital scrub is a good one, Ryan. It, it's one of these things where, you know, what causes us anxiety is when we look at our phone and I'm trying to look for Ryan, right? And right before Ryan is Rihanna. And Rihanna is a girl who broke my heart. And so it gives me anxiety, right? And so what we want to do with people, both executives and people in early recovery and students, is get digital scrub. Get rid of the people that give you that anxiety. So we have everybody clean off all the, what I call the lower companions off their phones, right? They go through their social media. They get rid of their frenemies, you know? And so that part of the play um, is called digital scrub. Um, This this is right in your line, uh, Ryan, because this was a brick and mortar coaching thing. Yeah. that has now moving into technology. We've brought people on like you who know all this tech talk, you know, the zeros and ones. <laughs> and, and again, I get out of the way. The smartest guy, you guys help me go do this. And so um, it's really career oriented because what happens is, is it allows for people to um, get out of their own way, to, yeah. to use this space to take themselves to a new level. Because here's the thing, most people at nine to five jobs want two things to happen. They want to get an increase in pay and they want to get increase in title, right? And so what I try to do in in this recovery playbook is allow them to get out of their own way so they don't self-sabotage. How many times have you heard of a friend go, you know, they get right (laughs) on the verge of a promotion, self-sabotage. Right on the verge of a pay raise, self-sabotage. And so what I'm trying to do, and and this you brought up this earlier, is to create balanced men and women so they're using the left side of their brain and the right side of their brain. Um, and so that's what we do with the recovery playbook. And that can be found at the recoveryplaybook.com. Yeah. When you, when you talk about a balanced person, I mean, that, that is the epitome of what that is. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and I, I, t- I tell my daughter this all the time. Like I said earlier, you cannot let your emotions supersede your logic, your intelligence. As soon as your, your emotions go high, your logic goes right back down yep. and, and you can't 100%. And, you, and you can't you can't do that i mean you know you have a nine-year-old you know <laughs> when, when when little girls are four five and six years old they're they're like figuring out this whole yeah. uh, their their emotions and all of these new things i haven't i haven't got to the teenage years yet i only have the one daughter so i don't know how that's mm-hmm. gonna go but yep. you know i feel like you know this the stage of you know going from a toddler to a little girl right and and then there's that transitional element that happens there and then another transitional element that will happen you know as they as they blossom into being a teenager with a, a whole set of other emotions mm-hmm. right that are going to be different that we're going to have to deal with but i think if you if you place any person in a multitude of scenarios that's a little bit outside of their comfort zone it forces them to you know learn behavior for themselves that allow them to act and react appropriately in, in yeah. all those situations and you know uh, i was in california with my uncle uh, he lives in in chino uh, in Southern California and you know, mm-hmm. he has, he has five daughters. And, and when, when I got married, he said to me, Ryan, I got one piece of advice for you and one only, uh, he's like, you'll figure out your marriage because that's on you. Uh, he said, but when you have kids, 
take them everywhere and do everything and anything with them because that will make them well-rounded individuals. And I've always taken that to heart. Yeah. I, uh, some, some, uh, daughter advice I got was, um, uh, daughter wants, daughter wants you to answer this question, right? Will you be there for me? And so every recital, every parent teacher conference, every soccer game, I'm there. Okay. And the other thing that a, a guy told me about, um, never, never let your daughter see anger. It really scares little girls. And so I try my best not to show them that side of me. I have two, I have a seven year old as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, is, and is that, is that not the hardest part of the, the, the oh, challenge is the showing the anger? Yes. yes. Yeah. That, that is, um, that is by far for me, the hardest thing as well. And Ryan, let me, let me tell you this, your little girl, you are the first boy she's going to fall in love with. Remember that. So whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you're modeling, what she's going to fall in love with down the road. But for now you're the first boy that she falls in love with. So as one father to another of daughters, I, I give you that advice because I Thank really, you. I think to myself, okay, these girls are in love with me, right? I'm going to, I'm going to present back to them a lot of love. And so I, I'm constantly loving them, supporting them. Uh, I try to do the soccer, the soccer thing, whatever they want to do, <laughs> whatever you want to do. do. Yeah. yeah. When your yeah. seven year old says, daddy, I want to paint your nails. You go, here's my yeah. hands. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can, yes. you can see the pink uh, wristbands yeah. I got on, yeah. you know, all the stuff that she's made me. And you know, it, it's funny. I come you're, to you're work. You're a good dad. Ryan. I come to work and people it. are like, why are you wearing pink bracelets? I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, no. The question would be, why would I not be wearing pink yeah. bracelets? No. <laughs> it, yeah. So I, I see a bunch of moms and dads in the playgrounds and they're on their phones that are letting nannies raise the kids right and 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 people are like i can see some of these fathers are not engaged and it's like hey the only two people i need to impress here are those two little girls Mm -hmm. because when i'm on my deathbed guess who's going to be next to me those two little girls girls. girls. yeah yeah you know it's funny my wife and i had that conversation the other day and i was like you know i'm like she's like you already won me you know, like you don't need to impress yeah. me, you know? And so our, our sole jobs as, as human beings on this earth are strictly, you know, the parental duties that we have. And I don't even, I guess duty is even a wrong word because I don't yeah. feel like I have a duty to do anything. It's just yeah. part of who I am. I'm a dad, you know, and I love every minute of it. And, uh, you know, thank you so yeah. much for the feedback because I think yeah. that, um, I needed to hear that from another dad of daughters about, yep. about you know, trying not to be angry. Um, yeah. I have, I have a high level of, uh, of, of, um, I set a high expectation for my daughter, you know, not mm-hmm. saying that I'm saying I'm pushy, but mm-hmm. I want her to understand, you know, what expectations are that, you know, um, you need to pay attention. You need to, you know, be in the moment and, and, you know, yeah, grades are not everything, but they're important mm-hmm. to, to get mm-hmm. to where you want to go. Um, you know, getting good grades is the equivalent of a dollar bill, right? It's a, just mm-hmm. a, it's another tool in your toolbox to be able mm-hmm. to whip that out when you need it, to be able to go where you need to go. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I've had even my grandmothers be like, well, you're so you're too hard on her. And I'm like, but grandma, if I don't, if I don't set an expectation of excellence from the very beginning, and if I don't do that now, when do I make the choice to make that happen? I can't wait until she's 12 years old and then expect excellence. My business mentor, one of my business mentors now is very successful houses in multiple cities. Um, Here's what he's, and I once asked him, I said, hey, what's success to you? And here's what he said. He goes, success to me is happy children. 100%. And I thought that was, and I thought that was profound from a guy who's a multi, multi-millionaire, 
you know? It's happy children. And so what I want to describe, right? 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, I will tell you that my daughters, they both got straight A's. Um, they have lots of friends. Um, they were um, student of the month, and the theme was joy, you know. So <laughs> I, I think I, I think I'm very successful, if you know what I mean, in yeah. that department. So. I completely agree. Greg, thank you for being on. I, yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, you guys go check out startuprecovery.com, uh, the website. Follow Greg. I'm yep. sure he's all over social media. Uh, we really appreciate you being on Finding a Frequency. Love the advice. I love the story. Love everything about it. Um, you and I will definitely have to stay connected uh, and have, have a little bit of lunch when I get out to, to L.A. And, uh, and, and when I come to Phoenix, I'll come chase you down. Let's yeah, do it. Sure. Let's do it. Greg, yeah, thank you again yeah. for being on. I appreciate your time. Okay. My pleasure, Ryan. So much. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Make sure you follow us on your favorite pod catcher, whether it be Apple, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You can always find us at voiceamerica.com, findingyourfrequency.net. Check me out on Twitter, at Radio Ryan1, at Jeff Spinney2, at Voice America TRN. We'll talk to you guys next time on the next episode of Finding Your Frequency right here on Voice America. Voice America.